Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Believe in Badger Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, sponsored by BetOnline.ag and eBay. On today's show, I'm joined by former Houston Texans wide receiver Dave Anderson, who has recently launched a new sports analytics company, Breakaway Data. Dave and I talk about using data to help train athletes, his favorite stories of former Badger Owen Daniels, how he would use data to improve the Badgers, and more. Before we get started, I want to remind you guys, though, that we are brought to you by betonline.ag. FBS and NFL football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, the NHL, and FCS football are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. Plus, BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV, and more. They've got hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. Plus, there's always the 24-hour online casino. It never closes. So head over to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, welcome back to the Believe in Badger Football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, brought to you by betonline.ag and eBay. I have the pleasure of being joined today by Dave Anderson. Dave is a former Colorado State and Houston Texans player, but now he's doing some stuff that's actually a little bit more interesting to me, which is really what I want to talk to him about today with the work he's doing at Breakaway Data. Dave, thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with me here today. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of Wisconsin football. We said it before we started on. Owen Daniels, a Wisconsin man. Jimmy Leonard, I know him well too, so... uh... Yeah, Wisconsin Badgers want to talk some football. I'm all about it. Well, we're obviously we're all about the Badgers. And you actually played at Colorado State in college. And I want to start by talking about your time in Fort Collins. Uh, Colorado State, just on a personal level, I've always had a very strong connection to. One of my really good friends from actually elementary school moved to Fort Collins. And my family would go out and visit him all the time. And I love Fort Collins. I thought it was just one of my favorite places to go visit. Colorado State campus is obviously gorgeous. So, but for you, as someone growing up in Southern California, playing receiver, what made you want to become a Ram and head over to Colorado? Uh, well, it's a good question. Um, I was a really good, I was an accomplished receiver in high school. I was breaking all the records. Uh, I think to my benefit and to my detriment, I had the nation's number one player as my quarterback, Ben Olson at the time was a parade all American and one of the most highly recruited players kind of ever in Ventura County. And we had everyone, the who's who showing up at our, you know, baseball, basketball, football games to watch us play sports. And I think they just kind of assumed that I was the benefit of his uh, great quarterbacking. And so I didn't really have a lot of offers going into my, or I had zero offers going into my senior year, a lot of attention. I actually had more offers to play basketball. Um, and uh, come towards the end of my senior year, Colorado state uh, had been recruiting me pretty hard, talking to me regularly um, they call, give me a scholarship offer. They want me to trip out, uh, take my trip, take a trip. As soon as the season ends, they said, as soon as the season ends, you give us a call, you can come on out. And I, uh, told them like, Hey, so like, how do people do these trips? Do they come up 
with their parents or whatever. My parents are divorced. So it was like, do I want to come out with my mom? And they're like, you do whatever you want. So I call my brother and I was like, what should I do? He's like, go out by yourself. And I was like, okay. So I take a trip by myself. Side note, in the history of Colorado State recruiting, there was only one person who had ever come out by themselves besides me. And it was like Bradley Van Pelt on his trip. And so your Bradley Van Pelt, your quarterback. <laughs> our, our quarterback was the only other person who was like, I don't want my parents to show up. I'm just going by myself. So I ended up going by myself, um, <clears throat> being super excited. Coach Lubick and the team put together a great kind of presentation about how they can uh, help me in the future and whatnot. I was a little more academic minded. Uh, uh, I, I thought I was going to go to an Ivy League school, Stanford or Cal. And I was kind of my intention to get offers from Stanford and Cal, Princeton, all those schools. You know, it's tuition based kind of uh, a pay or I forget how you say it. It's basically how much. Yeah, yeah. Need based pay. And uh, Northwestern, ironically, called and offered me the minute I landed um, when I got back from Colorado State. But I said, no, I'm going to commit to Colorado State. This felt good. And uh, ended up there. So yeah, lo- love my time in Fort Collins. And you're exactly right. That's a, it's a special city. Well, I was gonna, and I was going to say you went from a, an outstanding high school quarterback to an outstanding college quarterback. Bradley Van Pelt was one of the best group of five quarterbacks of that decade, uh, quite frankly. And as someone who was an avid uh, NCAA football player on the PlayStation, I was yeah. Colorado State way more than I should have been, mostly because Bradley Van Pelt was like a beast was an a absolute beast. animal in that game. Like yes. he never missed a throw for, for if you were going to play, you wanted a quarterback that can run and throw. And mm-hmm. not only that, they gave Bradley Van Pelt like linebacker size. So he mm-hmm. would run over people. So he had like a, he was a true running back with a quarterback's arm. And uh, yeah, I definitely won about six Heisman trophies and four national championships on NCAA myself. Yeah, it was uh, dynasty mode. I was always someone, I, and I was never the guy who wanted to be like Alabama or anything like that, or even no, like no, that's boring, or even like Wisconsin, you know, because like yeah. I wanted to be like I, I definitely wanted to be like a smaller school, and because I already had that connection to Colorado State, it was somewhere that uh, it, it just like naturally like lined itself up, and <laughs> so that that's really awesome. Obviously, though, after you finished up at Colorado State, you were drafted by the Texans, and uh, you played for the Texans for four seasons. Six, six seasons, six seasons. Oh, damn. I didn't even count. Right. Um, and you were a special teams ace for them, for sure. You did a lot. You did a lot of returning um, and, and got involved. And so you it, you overlapped with Andre Johnson. Right. Yeah. So that was that was kind of the the, the, the good and the bad about being on that team is a we were in. Uh, I always say we we're an NFL purgatory is we were about eight and eight every year and uh, yep. weren't able to make the playoffs or get a first pick. Um, we had what job. Arian Foster, Andre Johnson, Owen Daniel, Dwayne Brown, uh, and Chris Myers. So all those six guys from our offense made the Pro Bowl. And so there wasn't a lot of room for a lot of not a lot of footballs to go around to the third receiver. I was a slot guy. We didn't use a slot a lot because we were in such good down and distance with Arian and Andre. Uh, so yeah, made my way in special teams. But yeah, hung on for six years with the Texans and my last year bounced around from the Texans to the Broncos, back to the Texans, to the Redskins, and then finish my career, ironically, with a cup of coffee with the Seahawks. Oh, man. Um, uh, so, obviously, you played with Wisconsin legend Owen Daniels. I'm actually going to be coming out with my uh, with my 21st century All-Badger teams here over the next month, it? and he is the first-team tight end. Um, yes, mostly more for sentimental reasons than anything else, but people forget just how freaking productive he was. Who are you putting at running back? Oh, uh, Jonathan Taylor is the first team running back. Jonathan Taylor. Really? Yeah. Melvin Gordon is like, like a, like the slightest hair below Ron him. Dane. 
doesn't make 20th doesn't century make the, 21st century just 21st century oh, Ryan he was, finished he in was 99, 99, 99. Yep, just 21st century so I wasn't I, I wasn't ready to do that so no and then you have Joe Thomas is obviously your left tackle your for sure left tackle mm-hmm. who's your quarterback um he only played one season, but the one season Russell Wilson is too good. Oh, that's, to, that's, fair. that's the one, fair. one season Russell Wilson was extraordinarily special. Now I'm probably gonna get some flack, but my second team quarterback is is John Stocko. I love John Stocko. Uh, he was in and he was just he was a gamer, man. He was just an absolute gamer. John Stocko. He was a dude who I one of my what is most John Stocko doing right now? I, I think he's coaching somewhere. I'm not entirely sure, but. One of my one of my most vivid memories. It was uh, Wisconsin was playing. I want to say it was two thousand and five. Wisconsin was playing Michigan at home at night at Camp Randall. At that point, we never got night games because for a long time, ESPN would not uh, would o- always just put us in the eleven o'clock slot because the student section cursed too much and it would always get picked up by the microphones and they just like couldn't deal with that, so they would never do primetime games. And but we we got a primetime game against Michigan. And fourth quarter, down four, Stocko with the QB sneak with like less than 30 seconds left with no one imagined it coming. No one ever saw it coming for the win. And I was there with uh, a friend who actually went to Michigan. And it's the most fun I've ever had. Like just does like still raise does still raise the, the oh, yeah. hair on your arms. You absolutely, about oh, that's, absolutely. Those are the best. Those yeah. are the best. It was absolutely awesome. What was <laughs> what was your moment at Colorado State that like gave you like chills the most the one that you think back about the most since you were you know what like finished up the 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 minute i knew i was playing real football was we beat colorado at mile high bradley van pelt uh it was the third towards the end of the third quarter we're down two i think he break uh, it's a pass play he breaks out breaks a tackle, runs over one guy, runs by one guy, does this famous kind of like 180 pirouette and spikes it off the defender's head. No flags. Everyone goes crazy. And what was cool about that stadium is they did it uh, hot hot dog, not hamburger. So like it was split in the end zone. Not there was one end zone Colorado, one end zone Colorado State. Both end zones were split. So if you scored and you could, you, depending on what side of the end zone you scored and you could be either in and he scored like kind of right in the middle and he's like yelling at their fans and then hyped up ours. And then I was like, Oh my God. It like still to my heart. I was like, Oh, that, that, that was legit. And, and unfortunately that was the last time we beat Colorado. I lost to them three years straight after that. And that was, uh, that was heartbreaking. So I would say that moment always sticks out in my head. I had some really cool kind of like personal kind of moments. Uh, we beat Ben Roethlisberger in Miami, Ohio, when we were at home, we, we beat Urban Myers, Utah team a couple of times. That was pretty good, but yeah, I would say that moment uh, of like hair raising moment kind of sticks up. We'll, we'll forever stick up in my head. Uh, yeah, make the hairs sure. of my arms stick up. And the Mountain West, when you were there, I mean, they that was some at, at like almost peak Boise State too. So you got you. And, no. Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, were you, were, were you BYU, whack? Utah, Colorado oh, They were State. still whack then, weren't they? They were yeah. still whack. They oh, still that's whack. right. That's right. They were still in the whack. And then, then 2007, Utah goes to the pack uh, pack 12 with colorado byu leaves and goes independent they pick up boise state that's right and utah state that's right that's right okay yeah. um i had my years mixed up just a little bit but yeah um but yeah so going back to owen going back to wisconsin you play with him for a long time 
what was what's your favorite Owen Daniels memory? Um, I don't know if this is a this is a good one or a bad <laughs> one, but Owen Daniels. Uh, very early on, we realized like he was a fourth round draft pick, and so none of us really thought a lot about him um, at first, right? Cause we're, you know, in April, May, and June, we're kind of just practicing and I'm noticing like he's getting a lot of balls. And then what you really notice is he got some opportunities with the first team huddle. Like I was third team seventh round. When I first started and every now and then I snuck into the second team and I would get a rep or two, but I was like, Owen had four, like you're watching. Cause he's not going to tell you. I'm like, Owen had four reps in the first team. And it's not like the coaches even prepare you. They just kind of do it. They're really sly. They just kind of like, toss you in like oh that guy's tired oh and go and get him and you're like oh and they just kind of throw you in there and so i'm like oh owen's getting a first team rep and i was like more first team reps more first team reps and by training camp he was our he was our basically our starting tight end and so we're in training camp and this is my specific memory the the coach we had um i'm not gonna name names but he's a wacko you could look him up owen daniels because he basically had him his entire career um he's like yelling, yelling at Owen and Owen's down in the stance and he's yelling at Owen to, to like tran- to, to transfer motion over to the other side, but the quarterback had switched the play. And so Owen was in the right spot, but he's yelling at him, yelling at him. And Owen turns around. This is the middle of the quarterback doing his cadence goes, shut up, shut up, shut up. And, and I was like, I was like, you can yell at your coach in the NFL. And he put his hand back down, hiked, they ran the play, and everyone was just like, Yeah, good job. Like, clapped. I was like, like, because in college, you wouldn't dare scream at your coach, right? You'd run forever. But like in the NFL, you make more money at him. So you could just yell at him and get away with it, especially if you're right. And so I was like, that's amazing. So I remember Owen had enough stones to do that his rookie year. Granted, he was on first team. But I was like, oh, he's going to be big and he's going to do well. And so like, like, it's kind of those moments that stick out. You're like, yeah, he's, he's going to be a dude. That's awesome. That, 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 that's fantastic. Yeah, the dynamic between player and coach has to com- completely flip between college and the pros. That's got to be one of the biggest transitions. Uh, that's why I'm interested to see what happens to Urban Meyer, right? Like he, if any coach have had, has the, author- you know, the authoritarian kind of like fist and, and, and made his players do what he wanted, it has been Urban Meyer. You can't do that in the pros. Well, and that just on, on top of that, like just I don't know the Chris Doyle hiring, uh, like as like one of the first things he did. That's so tone deaf. That's just yeah. so tone deaf. Even if even if Chris Doyle is a great strength coach, you the amount of first. the amount of baggage that he carries, and the fact that think of everything that's happened in the last twelve months. And 12 months, last two years. Well, yeah. That tells you that like, let's not, let's not go down this route. And if you're going to probably not best to promote him, right? Like maybe like Texas tech could hire him, but not the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. That was, that was shocking. And I think it, I don't know. I worry. I, I, I worry about it a lot. I have a couple of Jaguar friends who are Jaguars fans. I, 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 I do worry about that a lot. Don't worry. The Jacksonville Jaguar friends have more to worry about than the, than the coaching that's situation. True. That's true. But at least yeah, they get have, Trevor Lawrence. They, they have like a pool in their, uh, in their stadium that there's this, there's a cesspool of gross that thing, that, that swimming pool <laughs> they have in this, in the end zone is so gross. <laughs> it's worse than a Vegas pool. Oh gosh. I can't even imagine. <laughs> All right, I want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for on eBay. The original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop that pair you've been eyeing. 
And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity, and it also protects sellers with a verified return process. For all the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So head on over to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Dave, let's talk about what you're up to these days, because you, know, you are now the CEO of a company called Breakaway Data and founder, CEO, I believe is your title, correct? And so what you guys are doing, everyone th thinks when whenever we start talking about analytics, people are always just talking about, they're thinking about like back, back end analysis, like pro football focus, that kind of analytics. But you're using analytics in a very different way, especially when it comes to training athletes. Tell me a little bit more about that. I think uh, the biggest difference is uh, I come at it from a player's perspective, right? So we come at it really from the inside out. So the outside in, we're not trying to be accepted amongst the, the players and the coaching staff. We're trying to take what the players and the coaching staff already talk about and turn it into something objective. I always like to say subjective into objective. Anyone who's played any sport in their entire life knows that their coaches always use subjective terms, uh, phrases, or, or, or analogies to tell them how good or bad they are. And it's frustrating because you don't know what they really mean, right? You're not sure what they're trying to communicate or you're not sure if they're even right. They're just like, oh, that guy's got, you know, get up and go speed. Or, or he's, a, he's, he's built like a peanut M&M. He's like, a sideline to sideline linebacker. He's a side. Well, yeah. You're like, I don't even know what that, I don't know what you're trying to describe. So let's instead make those objective and measure them. And I think that was what I first realized was the huge opportunity was let's not turn we don't need more acronyms. We don't need more ATZs and FROs and PSOs, but let's actually just turn these subjective terms into things that coaches use and want to understand. Now, the hard part about that means you have to talk directly with coaches. You have to talk directly with players and let them know like, Hey, let's measure some things that you find important. And that's a little threatening at first, right? As someone from the outside coming in, telling them, Hey, let's, let's think about this a little differently outside of the box. Whereas if I went and sit in a basement and create a bunch of acronyms, just trying to sell it to coaches, maybe I'd be more successful. I don't know. I can certainly scale that a lot faster because right now our company's all relationship based. We got to get to know these coaches and, and really do it that. So that that's the difficult part, but that's what I think really separates us is we're not trying to create numbers that the coaches should use. We're trying to use the coaches to create numbers that they want. And when you go about it and think about it like that, um, I think it, 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 it has a lot more uh, opportunity in the space because um, the, the amount of terms you can use and once you're accepted amongst players and coaches, then it can really take off, right? Like imagine when ESPN, remember when they did that whole QBR thing and they had mm -hmm. like Trent Dilfer and all these people oh, yeah. talking about Oh yeah. Their, big, were, their biggest when... failure is that Tom Brady never mentioned QBR or that Aaron Rodgers never talks about QBR. If they started with Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers saying like, hey, what could we measure that you would find important so that on a pregame, postgame conference, you would talk about it, it would have exploded and every fan would talk about it. But now all of us kind of reference QBR and it's not a big metric. So we always think about coming from the inside out. So you're trying to basically quantify what has previously not been quantified, but is known to be super important, right? Because like not all of the metrics that we use, if you especially think about kind of metrics like the combine, right? 
how many reps you put up on a bench press doesn't necessarily translate to in-game functional strength, right? Like, I, yeah. Yeah. So sorry, what were we going to say? <laughs> I hate the combine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not built for the combine. I am not, I do not look like a combine success. I'm a, not a combine uh, warrior. Like, I'm not a combine warrior. I'm not going to go there and blow, blow the thing out of the water. So let me just start with that saying like, there'll probably be a comment troll saying like, of course you hate the combine. You'd suck at it but I'd say let's race. I could still run. Um, but the, uh, but they do not translate to what you actually look for on the, on the field. I think that's ultimately what you're getting at is like, Hey, can I lay on my back and push this? Hey, that shows some overall strength. I agree. Uh, but we could take that to the next step, right? Mm-hmm. I guess what we're, what we're, what I'm, what our company is ultimately saying is that technology has caught up to the game. There are technologies and data sets that you can create and collect that better measure what's going on in the game. That wasn't the case five years ago. No. Right. They just started with this GPS unit that you put on your back and you measure your overall distance and stuff like that. That's useful. But now you can turn those hertz all the way up and I can measure your micro movements. Ah, now we're getting close. I can put insult, I can put things in your insoles to measure your asymmetries in your feet and how quickly and fast you move your feet. So we can measure that sideline to sideline mm-hmm. guy. I can put uh, I can put force plates underneath you and have you jump left, right, up, down on different planes to measure how quickly your Joe Thomas's can get out of their stance uh, on their left side versus their right side. Right. You can measure things like that. And so the goal is just to help teams come up with measurements that ultimately fit their culture Mm -hmm. of their team and how they coach, because uh, to reference Colorado state, um, they don't have the depth and the, the size to play the same type of uh, game up front that Alabama does. They have to stunt, they have to move, they have to play more horizontal, they're going to be quicker. So why would you ever measure offensive line the same way with them as you would with an Alabama? You should measure it differently. And if you're measuring it differently, then you should maybe use different devices or something like that because you are coaching it differently. But right now, everyone measures everything the same. We're saying, let's take the raw data and measure it differently. Mm -hmm. Because in the same way, you're all watching film. That's just raw information. And you're, you're measuring different things. So I always try to connect data to film. And when you do that and you think about data is just another way of watching the game, uh, it just depends on what, what set of eyes you're using. So that's really interesting that you mentioned the what set of eyes you're using because I look at something like PFF. Now, I have a PFF Pro subscription. I love numbers. I love digging through that stuff. That's really fun for me, right? Just as a fan, uh, you know, sure. as a consumer of the game. However, you start to worry about the subjectivity of the data, right? Because... Yeah. I, it's it's not like whoever who's the top of PFF, Mike Florio. I forget I forget the guy who's like in, yep. in charge yep. of PFF. Yep. He's not breaking down every single college game. He's not going Old ball down. coaches. Yeah, and so well, no, high it's school, not. college, pro guys. Listen, I know guys eating peanuts. There's a bunch I know of guys. a I know a girl who is a cheerleader at Vanderbilt, and she breaks down film for PFF. There you go. And she's, I she. She's, and I, and I'd be willing to bet she's better than most of those old ball coaches. She is, <laughs> a, she is, holy crap. You talk to her about football for two minutes and you're like, good Lord, you're going to be a coach someday. So yeah. um, she's, she's amazing. But um, that, that's just, that's a little aside, but it's one, one of the really interesting things about those. So it's like, well, who is breaking this down and who is saying, okay, why does this person have a 79.2 grade? Whereas this one has an 83.4. They weren't even looked at by the same people. They're going against different competition. I know that there was like, numbers to adjust and to try to adjust for the subjectivities. But it sounds like what you guys are doing is actually just trying to 
discover and use useful metrics that are much more team specific than not just being like really big picture, but being able to tailor it to certain programs, not be like, this is what they do, but it's more like, this is why they're doing what they do. There's a little 100%. That's about, that would say that's a big part of what we do is making sure teams are using data that like I was kind of fit, fitting their culture and their coaching scheme because um, PFF has a certain way in which they grade players. Mm-hmm. The problem is uh, not even regardless of the, throw the scores out and throw the competition out. Um, how you grade someone is subjective, right? Like, why is that guy, why is that an A, a B or a C or D or whatever they score you at 10 and nine or an eight or seven? Why is that the grade um, is ultimately very subjective, right? You're not measuring distance between stuff. You're not measuring stuff like that. So like what we think is think of it more from an athletic perspective. We're trying to measure athleticism in the position because if you can find a common theme uh, that these, the, that everyone agrees upon, that's when you can really scale something. So like what we always focus on is like, let's, let's take out, uh, receivers for instance. So for a receiver, we're trying to measure their ability to deaccelerate and reaccelerate. So you wear a GPS device, like a lot of guys down that wear now, and you can measure a receiver's ability to stop and start and how quickly they do that. So I don't care, uh, what the scheme is. I don't care of any of that stuff. That's what the coaches should care about. And nor, can I care because I don't know if he's uh, the backside of the route and he's going slow because of the timing or if he's the number one guy and he's doing it as fast as possible. I will never know that. Like I've watched hours and hours and hours of film trying to do this data wise. And I realized that's the one issue I have because what you very, what you just mentioned is like, it's, you're never comparing apples to apples. So instead let's just measure specific instances when they throw him the ball, let's measure his ability to separate. You'd assume now, this is an assumption that every player is trying to get open when they throw on the ball. Not every player is trying to get open when you run a route. Sometimes you just might be backside. But when you throw on the ball, you're trying to get open. So if you, if, you, if you make some mass assumptions like that, you could get around some of those numbers and things you work on. Two caveats to that. One, data is always held at a much higher standard than humans, which is always silly because ultimately this data is created by humans. You ask two old ball coaches to break down a player and they'll have completely different perspectives. So like... That is part of them's the breaks of working in the industry. You're always going to get that. But second is that like data can be another set of eyes that is objective and should be used to complement or contradict things. Once you think of it like that, instead of like, Hey, it's the end all be all, then you have a good idea because ultimately it'll help you with like reassessing your top five, or it'll help you find another guy that fell outside that the number 10 slot that maybe you want to move in or why is this guy number one? Like this guy to me, it should be number one. Let's compare these, right? It gives you another data point, another, another factor to consider. But I really, I never really recommend is like, Hey, you do what the data says here and, or you, or bust because it's an imperfect game played by humans. There's just some weird stuff that's going to happen. And, and you got to account for that. Yeah, there absolutely is. Okay. So we'll finish up. I want to talk to you about a little bit more, like taking this data and applying it to a team like Wisconsin, right? So Wisconsin is a pro style power run offense for the most part a lot and they use a fullback which is like so novel at this point in time you know they they use 32 personnel which is it's my favorite when they when they line up at 32 personnel they have something called the barge formation they'll bring in an extra offensive lineman a tight end a tight end two fullbacks and a halfback um what are the kind of metrics or things you would look for in order to help optimize the success of a power run game 
So first of all, I'm going to text my wife to bring in my phone, bring in my computer charger. My computer just texts me and I say, it's going to be like, bring in, can you bring in the computer charger? So I don't die right in the middle of this question. You bring in computer charger. All right. So I have a good answer for this. The pro style offenses are kind of like almost best fit for a lot of this stuff. And the reason being is that you, um, you have a way about coaching that is more constant and more, uh, I don't want to traditional, not the word I'm looking for. No, but it's, but, a, uh, it's appropriate. To, it, it's a more time tested or it's, it's, it's a, more time tested. It's consistent, consistent. Right. And that, like, this is, this is what we're teaching. This is what we're emphasizing, right? These are the angles on blocks. This is the amount of space we're trying to create. If you think about every sport is about measuring or taking away space, the pro style offense is about moving people in a certain way. Whereas like this wide open offense is about like running away from people and, and finding space by, by running uh, uh, pro style offense is about moving people to create space. So you can, uh, if you have both, if you have measurements on both offense and defense, you can measure someone's ability to create or take away space. It gets a lot harder when you only have measurements on your own players, but let's say Wisconsin practice. So you want to measure, Hey, we don't know which one of these guards we should go with to start. Okay. Well, let's start measuring some of these one-on-one blocking drills or some of these half line blocking drills and really see how much force and how much space he is creating for a running back. You can do that stuff. Right. And so that's where you can really get unique on how you're evaluating players. Your left guard, maybe it's clear. Hey, this guy's a junior. He's outplayed everyone that's ever came in his way. He's going to be our starter. Right guard, they're battling between these two freshmen, this redshirt sophomore and this guy. We don't know who to start. That's where data could really help you evaluate players like that. You could also create like an overall offensive uh, line measurement where you're really saying like, okay, week in, week out, here's how we're evaluating our offensive line. Normally it's a zero, one, two, or three where you, were you successful, but now you could do it based on the numbers. Hey, our right side of our offensive line on plays where you're the front side of attack, you guys are graded out like this. Here's why, because you only got this amount of uh, push and this amount of space. And you only, you know, only had to do it this, this amount of times, whereas our left side had to do it more times. They created more space. They were, they did a much better job. So you could evaluate talent. You could evaluate in-game stuff a little differently, add some more uh, objective measurements to just kind of what we talked about, otherwise subjective coaching points. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's really interesting as well, because if you think about using that data, then to adjust scheme to it, right? So I say, okay, well, I see that, you know, my my left guard on these, uh, you know, on, on these plays is not able to generate enough force to when he's pulling to kick out that end who's crashing down every time, right? Yeah. And so how how do we then adjust our scheme for that? Do we change not our- only adjust scheme? How can you train that guy? If yeah. that's the only thing, and there's where you get into personal development, which is what you started with. There's where you get into some interesting stuff. Where if you say this is our starter and he's the best player, how can we train him to get even better? Yeah. Right. That's where people get annoyed. Is like, oh, analytics is just using this one data point to evaluate players, and I get screwed because I don't do that thing well. That's fine. Say you won the starting position and you want to get better, which every player wants to do. Well, now I have some things where I know where to focus my attention. If kickout blocks, uh, the force that I have when I come into contact with a player is, is lower than the guy that I'm bigger than, how, what is my issue? Let's really evaluate mm-hmm. that and let's, let's develop that talent better because that's something I need to get good at. 
Whereas a receiver, hey, I'm amazing at, at, at decelerating, reaccelerating, and getting open from five to 12 yards. What happens when I get past 15 yards? Let's go ask my strength coach. Hey, we need you have overdeveloped quads. You're not able to get your hips down, and therefore you're you're extending over your toes, and you have to take more steps. Let's develop your hamstrings. Sit your butt down, and you'll be able to get out of breaks. Boom. Now all of a sudden you know how to develop players. That's gr- that's great. That's fantastic stuff. And that's where it's that that merit. It's that marriage, right? Of the numbers with the film with the coaching. Right. It's sort of data has to be that little fill in the cracks glue yeah, thing. Right. For exactly. some people, it's bigger. And that's fine. For some people, it's a little more mm-hmm. nuanced and different. And that's fine. And, 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 and that's the, the pluses and the minuses being in this industry, mm-hmm. especially in sports. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not credit card industry where it's like, hey, I'll improve your credit score 20 points. But I wish I could say something like that. Well, no, because I, I mean, I, I think about, you know, the guard who's having trouble, you know, kicking out uh, on a pull and I think about, okay, well, what are the different reasons and how can we, how can we adjust the player for that one? Well, you know, retrain their technique to be lower, right? Maybe they're just, you know, they're too high and they're getting caught, um, you know, and, and, and they're just, they're, they're standing up too tall. And so they're not getting the leverage necessary B well, what are the muscle groups that we need to develop in order to exactly. improve that? Um, and, you know, see like also like, well, when it comes to force acceleration, how can we improve their actual acceleration there? Not their 40 time. Cause the 40 is such a useless, is such a useless step is such a useless number. And you don't even know how to train for a 40, right? Like if you really want to train for 40, then you have to improve your, your, your start. And then like, how are you really going to improve your top end speed? You just run faster, right? Like you really got to improve at, you got to break it down into its aspects. So that's what mm-hmm. sprinters do. Yeah. Right. Like you have top end speed. Let's improve your, 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 you know, acceleration phase. Let's improve your drive phase. Let's improve your start. Like, so that's basically when you think about a 40, think about doing that for a position group, right? Yeah. Like that you could, you could do that in different aspects. You break down instead of just training. Hey, here's how you'd be a better receiver. Here's how you'd be, a, you'd be better at these aspects that you need to get better at. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I love that. that that's such fascinating stuff. And I really hope that you guys are able to, you know, really get to work. I hope that when Wisconsin will bring you guys on to, uh, you know, help, help improve their run game. Again, I got to call. Is, I got to call someone over there now. I get Owen. To, I go Owen to hook it up. You know, <laughs> well, you listen. You know, Coach Leonard. You know, you, you know, you know Jimmy Leonard. So you know he's I the DC over there. Hey, Jimmy, if you're listening, uh, get myself and believe. We'll we'll figure it out. We'll get it. We'll we'll, we'll definitely get it. Uh, we'll get it in the works. Uh, and plus, I know that are you guys training like athletes down in Southern California right now too. So we're, we don't really train athletes. You try to avoid just working with directly with teams. We don't, we don't have a gym, but we're directly with teams. We'll work with athletes and give them some of those protocols, but hands-on athlete training and stuff. There's so many good people in that space. I'm not trying to pretend I know how to work guys out. I could tell you what you need to work out, what you need to emphasize, but like in terms of like lifting weights, I'll leave that to the pros. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Well, listen, Dave, thank you so much for, uh, for hanging out with me here today. This was fascinating, informative, fun. And, uh, I, you know, I wish you guys the best of luck as you guys are, you know, heading out into this fascinating space and, uh, you're welcome back on any time, especially, you know, as, as we roll along towards football season and talk about some, you know, talk about some more metrics and some of the trends that you're seeing. For sure. Can you play jump around uh, and play me out with jump around? Uh, well, we'll actually be playing you in with jump around. That's on the, that's the yeah. intro. So. All right. All right. <laughs> All right Dave. A good one. Thanks again, man. We'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. 
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.